0: by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the TC Energy 2020 Second Quarter Results Conference Call. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode, and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star, then 1 on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to David Moneta, Vice President, Investor Relations. Please go ahead.
1: Thanks very much and good morning, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to TC Energy's 2020 second quarter conference call. Joining me today are Russ Gerling, President and Chief Executive Officer Don Marchand, Executive Vice President, Strategy and Corporate Development and Chief Financial Officer. Francois Poirier, Chief Operating Officer and President, Power and Storage and Mexico. Tracy Robinson, President, Canadian Natural Gas Pipelines. Stan Chapman, President, US Natural Gas Pipelines. Paul Miller, President, Liquids Pipelines. Bevan Worspa, Senior Vice President, Liquids Pipelines. And Glenn Menuz, Vice President and Controller. Russ and Don will begin today with some opening comments on our financial results and certain other company developments. A copy of the slide presentation that will accompany their remarks is available on our website. It can be found in the investor section under the heading events and presentations. Following their prepared remarks, we will take questions from the investment community. If you are a member of the media, please contact Jamie Harding following this call and she'd be happy to address your questions. In order to provide everyone from the investment community with an equal opportunity to participate we ask that you limit yourself to two questions if you have additional questions please re-enter the queue also we ask that you focus your questions on our industry our corporate strategy recent developments and key elements of our financial performance if you had detailed questions relating to some of our smaller operations or your detailed financial models hunter and i'd be pleased to discuss them with you following the call Before Russ begins, I'd like to remind you that our remarks today will include forward-looking statements that are subject to important risks and uncertainties. For more information on these risks and uncertainties, please see the reports filed by TC Energy with Canadian Securities Regulators and with the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission. And finally, during this presentation, we'll refer to measures such as comparable earnings comparable earnings per share, comparable earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, or comparable EBITDA, and comparable funds generated from operations. These and certain other comparable measures are considered to be non-GAAP measures. As a result, they may not be comparable to similar measures presented by other entities. They are used to provide you with additional information on TC Energy's operating performance, liquidity, and its ability to generate funds
2: to finance its operations with that i'll turn the call over to russ and thank you david and uh, good morning everyone and thank you all for joining us today uh, clearly we live in unprecedented times with covid 19 having had a significant impact on people around the world when the world health organization declared it a global pandemic in early march our business continuity, continuity plans were put in place across our whole organization allowing us to continue to effectively operate our assets and execute on all of our capital programs All of the services we provide were deemed essential or critical in Canada, the United States, and Mexico, given the important role our infrastructure plays in delivering energy to people across this continent. This essential designation included both our daily operations and our construction projects. We take that responsibility extremely seriously, and I'm proud to say so we've continued to deliver the energy that millions of people rely on every day and continue to advance all of our construction projects that are vital to powering industries and institutions for many decades yet to come. As we've always done over the past few months, we've continued to conduct our business in a safe and reliable manner while uh, maintaining our workforce, employing thousands of construction workers, fulfilling our obligations to suppliers, and supporting the communities in which we are working. This uh, would not have been possible without the dedication of all of our employees, and I want to acknowledge and thank them and their families for their ongoing efforts to ensure the energy that is vital to the daily lives of so many continues to be delivered seamlessly across North America. I can tell you that your efforts continue to make a big difference. Turning now to our second quarter financial results and other recent developments across our three core businesses, despite the challenges brought by COVID-19, our operations have largely been unimpacted With a few exceptions, flows and utilization levels remain in line with historic and seasonal norms, underscoring the critical nature of our energy energy infrastructure assets. With approximately 95 percent of the comparable EBITDA in our company coming from regulated or long-term contracted assets, we continue to be largely insulated from the short-term volatility associated with volume throughput and commodity prices. As a result, as highlighted in our second quarter report, our $100 billion portfolio of high-quality, long-life energy infrastructure assets continue to produce solid results. We continue to realize the growth expected from our industry-leading capital expansion program. And today, we are advancing $37 billion of secured capital projects. In addition, we continue to advance $11 billion of projects under development, including the refurbishment, refurbishment of another five reactors of Bruce Power as part of their long-term life extension program. Over the last six months, we took significant steps to fund our 2020 capital expenditure program and maintain our strong financial position despite the challenging capital market conditions that we're experiencing. More specifically, we enhanced our liquidity by more than $11 billion through the issuance of long-term debt in both Canada and the United States at very attractive rates, the establishment of an incremental committed credit facility uh, and various portfolio management activities, including the sale of three Ontario natural gas-fired power plants and the 65% interest in the Coastal GasLink project. When combined with our predictable and growing cash flow from operations, we believe that we're well-positioned to fund our capital program and meet all of our other obligations. Looking forward, we expect our solid operating and financial performance to continue, and as a result, our outlook for the full year 2020 is essentially unchanged, with comparable earnings per share still anticipated to be similar to the record results we produced in 2019. While we're extremely proud of our financial performance and the significant returns that we've generated for our shareholders, we know that our ongoing success depends on our ability to balance profitability with safety and environment and social responsibility. We have a 65-year track record of safe and reliable operations, but we recognize that we can always do better. As a result, we remain focused on continuous improvement as well as long-term fundamentals to ensure our business remains sustainable and resilient in an ever-evolving energy landscape. With that as an overview, I'll expand on some recent developments beginning with a brief review of our second quarter financial results. Don will provide more detail on our results and liquidity in just a few moments. So, excluding certain specific items, comparable earnings were $863 million or 92 cents per common share for the three months ended June 30th, compared to $924 million or about a dollar per share in 2019. Comparable EBITDA of $2.2 billion, um, while comparable funds generated from operations were about $1.5 billion for the six months ended June 30th. Uh, comparable earnings were $2 billion or 210 per common share. Uh, compared to $1.9 billion or or $2.07 per uh, share in the same period in 2019. Comparable EBITDA of $4.7 billion and comparable funds generated from operations of $3.6 billion were similar to the amounts that we reported last year. Each of those amounts reflects the solid performance of our legacy assets as well as contributions from $3 billion of new long-term contracted and rate-regulated assets placed into service in the first half of 2020 this was partially offset by lower contributions from our liquids marketing business due to lower margins um, as well as lower equity income from Bruce Power due to the unit 6 uh, MCR program that we commenced at the beginning of the year and the sale of certain assets that uh, will help fund our secured capital program for many years to come next i'll make a few comments on our three core businesses first the international gas pipelines business uh, customer demand for our services remains extremely strong despite Uh, the COVID-19 impacts on the broader North American economy. Evidence of this can be seen in the volumes transported across our systems with the NGTL field uh, system receipts averaging about 12.3 billion cubic feet a day, the Canadian Mainline Western receipts averaging 3.1 billion cubic feet a day, our broader U.S. pipeline network moving about 25 billion cubic feet a day, and our Mexican pipelines moving approximately 1.6 billion cubic feet a day for the first uh, six months of this year. Each of those amounts are similar to or greater to the volumes we moved over the same period last year. At the same time, we continue to advance approximately $22 billion of capital projects associated with our natural gas business. That program includes significant expansions of our NGTL system, capacity additions on our U.S. network, the Via de Rey and Tula projects in Mexico, and our coastal gas link uh, pipeline project in British Columbia which will play a very important role in delivering clean Canadian natural gas to Asian markets that will displace coal. During the second quarter, the NGTL system held a capacity optimization open season to assist customers in optimizing their transportation service needs and align system expansions with customer growth requirements. The open season confirmed that all of our proposed system expansion projects will continue to be required to meet aggregate system demand. Although the in-service dates for some of those facilities has uh, has moved, as a result, uh, cer- a certain amount of the capital spending plan for 2020 and 2021 will be made in 2022 to 2024. The net impact of these deferrals, together with some expected uh, increase in costs on the 2021 expansion program, will see us invest a total of about 9.9 billion dollars, up from 9.4 billion dollars, uh, on the 21 program. These changes have been reflected um, in the Secured uh, Capital Projects table in our quarterly report. Turning to our U.S. natural gas pipeline business, uh, where our expansion plans now include an incremental investment of approximately $400 million U.S. to replace, upgrade and modernize certain facilities on the highly utilized section of uh, the A&R pipeline system. The program, which is known as the Elwood Power A&R Horsepower Replacement Project, will reduce emissions along the system and is another good example of an in-corridor expansion to meet growing demand utilizing our existing facilities and our existing right-of-ways. Also in the U.S. pipelines uh, business, um, in the coming days, our Columbia Gas Transmission System intends to file a Section Four rate case with FERC. Uh, requesting uh, an increase in its maximum transportation rates effective February 1st, 2021. It's Columbia's first rate case filing in over 20 years and will seek to recover our currently incurred operating costs, as well as a fair return on and of our historical and future capital investments um, in this expansive system that provides our customers with reliable access to low-cost natural gas. At the same time, we will continue to pursue a collaborative process to find a mutually beneficial outcome with the Columbia gas transmission comber- customers through settlement negotiations. Finally in natural gas pipelines, construction activities continue on the 2.1 billion cubic feet a day coastal gas link project that will connect abundant Western Canadian sedimentary basin natural gas reserves to the LNG Canada plant um, uh, to export um, uh, from Kitimat, British Columbia. Field activity continues to increase along the route uh, following the spring thaw. As we ramp up construction, our focus will remain on the health and safety of our employees, our contractors, and the communities through strict adherence to our COVID-19 protocols. Ongoing work includes the construction of roads, bridges, worker accommodations, and grading. Pipe delivery also continues with more than 50% of the required pipes applied to site and the mainline mechanical construction activities planned for um, the balance of the summer. In May, as you know, we completed the sale of a 65% interest in the coastal gasoline project and entered into a secured long-term project financing credit facility to fund uh, the majority of the construction costs. This resulted in combined net proceeds of approximately $2.1 billion. Looking forward, we'll continue to work with the 21st nations that have executed agreements with the Coastal Gas Link project to provide them with an opportunity to invest in the project with an option to acquire a 10 percent interest on similar terms and conditions. Turning now to our liquids business, which also generated solid results during the first half of 2020 despite the extraordinary volatility in global crude oil markets. While well, the volatility has had an impact on our market link and liquids marketing businesses con- Keystone continued to produce solid results as it serves important markets in the U.S. Midwest and Gulf Coast and is underpinned by long-term take-or-pay contracts with very strong counterparties. We are very pleased with yesterday's decision by President Trump to sign a new presidential permit for the base Keystone system. The new permit will allow us to respond to market demand and fully utilize the Keystone Pipeline system to safely deliver additional crude oil from Canada to refining centers in the U.S. Midwest and the Gulf Coast. This new presidential permit will allow us to utilize or to realize the benefits from the 50,000-barrel-a-day open season conducted in June 2019 and would anticipate starting to increase the flows in 2021. The additional crude oil that will be delivered by the Keystone uh, pipeline will increase the secure and reliable source of Canadian oil uh, to meet growing demand from refineries and markets in the United States. Also in the liquids business, we continue to advance construction on Keystone XL during the second quarter while managing the various legal and regulatory matters. In Canada, construction activities at our pump stations and along more than 100 kilometers of the mainline right-of-way have continued to advance. In the U.S., we are making progress on a revised 2020 construction plan, which is focused in areas where all of our permits uh, and approvals are in place and includes facilities and pre-construction activities. At the same time, we continue to seek authorizations from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers for the necessary permits and approvals to reconvene U.S. Pipeline, mainline, mainline pipeline construction in 2021. Keystone XL continues to be a very important project for both Canada and the United States. It will create thousands of high-paying union jobs and advance energy security in both nations in an environmentally sustainable and responsible way. The project will require an additional investment of approximately $8 billion, and it is underpinned by new 20-year or pay contracts that are expected to generate approximately $1.3 billion U.S. of incremental EBITDA on an annual basis once the pipeline is placed into service in 2023. To advance the project, we have partnered with the Government of Alberta, who will invest approximately $1.1 billion U.S. of equity into the project and fully guarantee a 14, $4.2 billion U.S. project-level credit facility. Once the project is completed and placed into service, we expect To acquire the Government of Alberta's equity investment and refinance the credit facility. Moving forward, we will continue to carefully manage various legal and regulatory matters as we construct this pipeline, which will have the capacity to move approximately 830,000 barrels a day of responsibly produced energy from Canadian oil sands to the uh, continent's largest refining market, which is in the U.S. Gulf Coast. Turning now to our power and storage business, where Bruce Power continued to produce solid results through the first six months of this year. Also after years of preparation, in January, Bruce Power commenced the work on the the Unit 6 Major Component Replacement, or MCR uh, project, as we call it, um, when they took it offline here in January. We expect to invest approximately $2.4 billion in that program, as well as ongoing asset management program through 2023, when the Unit 6 refurbishment is targeted for completion and to come back online. Unfortunately, because of COVID-19, in late March, Bruce Power declared a force majeure under its contract with the independent electric system operator. This force majeure covered the Unit 6 MCR, as well as certain an- asset management work. That said, I was pleased to report that in early May, work on the Unit 6 uh, MCR resumed with additional prevention measures in place for worker safety related to COVID-19. Progress is being made on critical path activities as Bruce works to isolate Unit 6 from the remaining units in preparation for the removal of the fuel channels in late third quarter. The impact of the force majeure continues to be evaluated and will ultimately depend on the extent and duration of this global pandemic. Operations and plant outage activities on all other units continued as expected in the second quarter. Finally, in power in late April, we did complete the sale of three natural gas-fired power plants in Ontario, the Napanee plant, Halton Hills, and our 50% interest in the Portland's energy centers. Net proceeds from that uh, disposition uh, netted approximately $2.8 billion um, that we used to fund our industry-leading capital program. So in summary, today we are advancing $37 billion in secured growth projects that are largely expected to enter service between now and 2023. We have invested approximately $11 billion into this program to date, with approximately $5 billion of those projects expected to be completed by the end of 2020. Notably, all of these projects are underpinned by uh, cost of service regulation or long-term contracts, giving us visibility to the earnings and cash flow they will generate as they enter service. Based on the strength um, of our financial performance and the promising outlook for the future, earlier. This year, TC Energy's board of directors increased the quarterly dividend to 81 cents per common share, which is equivalent to $3.24 uh, per share on an annual basis. This represents an 8% increase over the amount declared in 2019 and is the 12th con- 20th consecutive year um, that our board has raised the dividend. Over that same time frame, we have maintained consistently strong coverage ratios with our dividend on average representing uh, a payout of approximately 80% of comparable earnings and 40% of comparable funds generated from operations, leaving us with significantly internally generated cash flow to reinvest in our core businesses. Based on the continued strong performance of our base businesses and the organic, organic growth we expect to realize as we advance our $37 billion secured capital program, We expect to continue to grow our dividend at an average annual rate of 8 to 10 percent through 2021 and 5 to 7 percent thereafter. So, in summary, I'll leave you with the following key points. Today, we are a leading North American energy infrastructure company with a very strong track record of delivering long-term shareholder value. Our assets provide essential service to the functioning of North American society and the economy and the demand for our services remains strong. We have five significant platforms for growth. Canadian, US, Mexican natural gas pipelines, liquids uh, pipelines, and our power and storage business. As we advance our $37 billion secured capital program, we expect to build on our long track record of growing earnings, cash flow, and dividends per share. We also have $11 billion of projects in advanced stages of development, and expect numerous other in-corridor organic growth opportunities, like the $400 million Elwood power uh, uh, and in our horsepower replacement project that we announced today to emanate from our extensive critical asset footprint looking forward we will remain disciplined continuing to our focus on safety sustainability working according to our values and responding quickly to market signals and signposts to ensure we remain industry leading and resilient as we grow shareholder value I'll now turn the call over to Don who will provide you more details on our second quarter. Uh, results and our financial position. Don, over to you.
3: Thanks, Russ, and good morning, everyone. As outlined in our results issued earlier today, net income attributable to common shares was $1.3 billion or $1.36 per share in the second quarter of 2020, compared to $1.1 billion or $1.21 per share for the same period in 2019. For the six months ended June 30, 2020, Net income attributable to common shares was $2.4 billion, or $2.59 dollars 59 per share, compared to net income of $2.1 billion, or $2.30 per share in 2019. Second quarter results included a $408 million after-tax gain on the sale of a 65% interest in the coastal gas link, along with an incremental $80 million after-tax loss on the disposition of the Ontario natural gas-fired power plants second quarter 2019 also included certain specific items as outlined on the slide and discussed further in our second quarter 2020 report to shareholders. These specific items, as well as unrealized gains and losses from changes in risk management activities, are excluded from comparable earnings. Comparable earnings for the second quarter were $863 million or 92 cents per common share compared to $924 million or a dollar per common share in 2019. For the six months ended June 30, 2020, comparable earnings were $2 billion or $2.10 per share compared to $1.9 billion or $2.07 per share in 2019. Turning to our business segment results on slide 15, in the second quarter, comparable EBITDA from our five operating segments was $2.2 billion, a $125 million decrease compared to 2019. Canadian Natural Gas Pipelines comparable EBITDA of $621 million was $93 million higher than second quarter 2019, primarily on account of increased rate-base earnings as well as flow-through depreciation and financial charges on the NGTL system from additional facilities placed in service. NGTL system net income increased $21 million compared to the same period in 2019 as a result of a higher average investment base from continued system expansions. And reflects an roe of 10.1 percent on 40 percent deemed common equity while net income for the canadian mainline decreased three million dollars largely due to lower incentive earnings u.s natural gas pipelines comparable ebitda of 595 million dollars u.s or 824 million dollars canadian in the second quarter fell by 46 million dollars u.s or 33 million dollars canadian compared to 2019 mainly due to the sale of certain Columbia Midstream assets in August 2019, as well as increased operating costs on Columbia Gas. Mexico Natural Gas Pipeline's comparable EBITDA of $130 million U.S. or $181 million Canadian rose $23 million U.S. or $40 million Canadian versus second quarter 2019, primarily due to CERTA-Texas equity income resulting from the commencement of transportation services in September 2019, and lower interest expense attributable to the weakening of the mexican peso liquids pipelines comparable ebitda declined by 150 million dollars to 432 million million in the second quarter driven by lower uncontracted volumes on keystone decreased margins from liquids marketing activities and the sale of an 85 percent equity interest in northern courier in july 2019. power and storage comparable ebitda in the second quarter fell by 84 million dollars year over year Primarily due to the planned removal from service of Bruce Power Unit 6 in January for its MCR program, along with lower Canadian Power earnings, largely as a result of the sales of our Ontario natural gas-fired power plants in April 2020 and Coolidge in May 2019, as well as an outage at our Mackay River cogeneration facility in 2020. For all our businesses with U.S. dollars-denominated in income including U.S. natural gas pipelines, Mexico natural gas pipelines, and parts of liquids pipelines, EBITDA was translated into Canadian dollars using an average exchange rate of $1.39 in second quarter 2020 compared to $1.34 for the same period in 2019. As a reminder, our U.S. dollar-denominated revenue streams are, in part, naturally hedged by interest on U.S. dollar-denominated debt. We then actively manage the residual exposure on a rolling two-year forward basis, with realized gains and losses on this program reflected in comparable interest income and other now turning to the other income statement items on slide 16 depreciation and amortization of 635 million dollars increased 14 million dollars versus second quarter 2019 largely due to new projects placed in service in Canadian natural gas pipelines which is fully recoverable in tolls on a flow-through basis interest expense of 561 million in the quarter was 27 million dollars lower year over year primarily due to higher capitalized interest related to keystone xl and coastal gas link up to its date of partial sale in may subsequent to which cgl is now accounted for under the equity method versus previous full consolidation the increase at keystone xl is a result of additional capital expenditures along with the inclusion of previously impaired capital costs in the basis for calculating capitalized interest following our decision to proceed with construction of the project. This is partially offset by new long-term debt issuance's net of maturities. AFUDC decreased $18 million compared to the same period in 2019, largely due to NGTL system expansion projects placed in service, as well as the suspension of recording AFUDC on Tula effective January 2020. Comparable interest income and other was $7 million in the second quarter inconsistent with 2019. Income tax expense included in comparable earnings was $125 million in second quarter 2020, compared to $199 million for the same period last year. The $74 million decrease was mainly due to lower pre-tax earnings and a lower Alberta income tax rate. Excluding Canadian rate-regulated pipelines, where income taxes are a flow-through item and are therefore quite variable, along with equity AFUDC income in the U.S. and Mexico natural gas pipelines, we expect our 2020 full-year effective tax rate on comparable income to be in the mid to high teens comparable net income attributable to non-controlling interest of 63 million in the quarter uh, increased by six million dollars relative to the same period last year primarily due to higher earnings at tc pipelines lp and finally preferred share dividends of 40 million dollars were in line with second quarter 2019. now turning to slide 17 during the second quarter, comparable funds generated from operations totaled $1.5 billion, and we invested approximately $2.2 billion in our capital program, which, as noted, reflects equity accounting for our remaining 35% investment in coastal gasoline post the closing of its partial equity sale. While well, capital market conditions in 2020 have seen periods of extreme stress and volatility, during the second quarter we took significant actions that meaningfully enhanced our liquidity and financial position. In April, we issued $2 billion in medium-term notes and U.S. $1.25 billion of senior unsecured notes in the Canadian and U.S. debt capital markets, respectively, on compelling terms. In addition, we arranged U.S. $2 billion of incremental committed credit facilities and closed the sale of our Ontario natural gas-fired power plants for net proceeds of approximately $2.8 billion. In May, we completed the sale of a 65 percent equity interest in coastal gas link as well as the initial draw on a newly established secured long-term project credit facility resulting in combined proceeds of approximately $2.1 billion. Finalizing these arrangements on Coastal GasLink along with secured Government of Alberta support for Keystone XL in the form of a U.S. $1.1 billion equity contribution and U.S. $4.2 billion loan guarantee means that a substantial portion of the funding required to advance these two large initiatives is now in place. Now turning to slide 18, Uh, this graphic illustrates our forecasted sources and uses of funds in 2020. The left column details total funding requirements of approximately $17.5 billion, comprised of long-term debt maturities and redemptions of $3.9 billion, dividend and non-controlling interest distributions of approximately $3.3 billion, and capital expenditures of approximately $10.3 billion, reflecting 100% of coastal gasoline costs up to the date of its partial sale and only equity contributions to the project thereafter. Funding sources are shown in the second column and include forecast internally generated cash flow of approximately $7 billion, proceeds from the disposition of our Ontario natural gas-fired power plants, sale of a 65% interest in coastal gas link, and associated project level financing at CGL, which together generated approximately $4.9 billion the Government of Alberta's equity investment in Keystone XL of U.S. $1.1 billion and $4.1 billion comprised of long-term debt that was issued in April, along with movements and balances of cash held and commercial paper outstanding. Taken together, we are effectively fully funded for 2020, and along with more than $13 billion of committed credit facilities in place and well-supported commercial paper programs in both Canada and the U.S., positioned to assuredly navigate any prolonged period of disruption should that occur. Now turning to slide 19, in closing, our solid financial and operational results in what has been a rather momentous first half of 2020 highlight our longstanding diversified low-risk business strategy, the criticality of our essential energy infrastructure, as well as the contribution of new high-quality assets from our ongoing capital program our overall financial position remains robust. Today, we are advancing a $37 billion suite of secured projects through resilient internally generated cash flow and an array of attractive funding options. Our portfolio of critical energy infrastructure projects is poised to generate high-quality long-life earnings and cash flow for our shareholders, underpinned by strong fundamentals, solid counterparties, and premium service offerings. While offering numerous distinct platforms for future uh, attractive and executable in-corridor organic investment that is expected to support annual dividend growth of eight to ten percent in 2021 and five to seven percent thereafter finally we will continue to maintain our historic financial strength and flexibility at all points of the economic cycle that's the end of my prepared remarks and i'll now turn the call back over to david for the Q&A. <clears throat>
1: Thanks, Don. Uh, just a reminder before I turn it over to the conference coordinator for questions, uh, we ask that you limit yourself to two questions. If you have any additional questions, please re-enter the queue. With that, I'll turn it back to the conference coordinator.
0: Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star, then 1 on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. Our first question comes from Jeremy Tonnet of JP Morgan. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Jeremy. Just, <coughs>
1: thanks.
4: Just wanted to start off with KXL and uh, wanted to see, I guess, you know, to hit the 2023 in service as you envision it now, how do you see the kind of legal hurdles or legal challenges, uh, you know, going at this point? Just trying to get a feeling for how much contingency is built in there and what milestones we should be looking for, try to get a better feeling for, you know, how would how progress. And I guess what, what type of outcomes there would have you guys uh, kind of step away from the project on the legal challenge side?
5: thanks Jeremy this is thanks Jeremy this is Bevan Um, with respect to the legal challenges there are two lawsuits the first of which challenging the presidential permits and the balance challenging our ability to advance construction in certain areas that have wetlands our schedule and plans can accommodate our we're still targeting our 2023 in-service date at this point And we anticipate resolving um, these issues through the balance of this year and into next.
4: Got it. Um, And just want to, I guess, pivot, uh, if I could, towards what type of uh, appetite you guys might have for what might be thought of as kind of like greener investments, if you will. Um, you know, the, the pumped hydro storage there, I was wondering if you might be able to update us on, on thoughts on that and appetite for projects like that, and then I guess also down the line, if hydrogen logistics could fit into your plans at all or any thoughts given that's kind of later data at this point.
6: Thanks, Jeremy. It's Francois. Uh, with respect to uh, our appetite for uh, those types of investments uh, and, you know, the pump storage project being uh, a great example, as we've talked about, uh, our... Strategy for a power and storage business, uh, you know we expect to be looking to invest uh, and diversify uh, by fuel type into other types of uh, fuels other than our traditional natural gas fired uh, businesses investing in uh, the along the theme of firming resources as renewables uh, increase as a percentage of the of the uh, uh, fuel mix uh, there'll be a need for uh, more storage uh, across uh, various systems so as we've uh, mentioned, we've got uh, the uh, Meaford project in Ontario. That's a 1,000-megawatt uh, pump storage project that's been proposed. It's still early days on that one. Uh, we're uh, continuing with extensive uh, consultations uh, with uh, with the communities. Uh, we've made significant uh, design changes to the project to address uh, their, uh, their feedback and... Um, uh, FID on that project is not expected uh, to take place until the 2023 time frame. The next step is really to uh, continue with uh, conducting uh, environmental assessments uh, once uh, uh, we've uh, gained permission from the Department of National Defense to access the land uh, on a longer-term basis. We also have another pump storage project uh, that's under development that we've invested in in Alberta that's uh, fully permitted. and we're expecting to make an FID on that one hopefully by the end of uh, 2020 so you'll see us uh, looking to um, uh, invest uh, in a manner that's consistent with our risk preferences you know focusing on either uh, investments underpinned by regulation or long-term contracts that's never going to change for us and uh, as we see opportunities to do that as part of uh, on different points of the electric value chain we're going to continue to be looking at those As to hydrogen, uh, it's an interesting concept. We'll continue to monitor these and other uh, technological advancements. We're always looking for ways to optimize our asset base, and, you know, from our perspective, we've got a very strong asset base to economically and safely connect growing sources of renewable natural gas or or hydrogen or any other uh, types of products when they do become economic. And, uh, you know, as it uh, relates to hydrogen, um, you know, it can be blended with methane flowing through our existing pipelines and either left commingled or um, extracted through downstream separation process closer to the end, end use source. So I think the takeaway there is we believe that we're very well situated t- to take advantage of these opportunities in the coming decades uh, should the technolo- technologies advance.
4: That's very helpful. Thank you for that.
6: Okay. Thanks, Jeremy.
0: Our next question comes from Robert Kwan of RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
7: Good morning. Um, if I can just start with the Columbia rate case, and just to get some extra details, um, specifically just around, um, are there some parallels that we can draw to, to what you did with with ANR as well, where you you included, or put differently, is there a bunch of modernization capital or any capital included as part of the rate case? and the ability to recover that um, kind of as part of the new rates rather than having to wait um, ultimately as well. Just how far behind are you on on rates with respect to to earned ROE and and the other recoveries of costs? Hey, good
8: morning, Robert. This is Stan. Um, We are planning on filing our Columbia rate case uh, tomorrow, actually. And while there were some limited rate reviews that were done in conjunction with our prior modernization settlements, as, as Russ mentioned, this is going to be the first rate case on Columbia in over 20 years. So in addition to uh, recovering our prudently incurred cost, uh, a fair return on our historical uh, capital investment, the filing does also propose a third phase to our modernization program, uh, whereby we're proposing to invest $3 billion over a seven-year period to further ensure the safety, the reliability, and the integrity of our assets. And to your point, we'd have the ability to recover these costs uh, without further rate cases, as we do now with our existing modernization program. So basically all the modernization capital that we spend uh, at the end of a given year, we would start recovering uh, those costs uh, starting February 1st of the following year. um, I should note that the, uh, the, the rate case establishes rates Uh, for our base system customers and is not going to adjust any of the demand charges for our express projects, which were recently placed in service, as they will continue to be incrementally priced and subject to fixed negotiated rates. Uh, I also should point out that the rates are going to take effect on February 1st of 2021 subject to refund, so there's not going to be any impact to 2020 earnings. Uh, The process is such that once our filing is made, uh, FERC will set a procedural schedule. Uh, That schedule will include a hearing before an administrative law judge, likely sometime towards the end of next year. Uh, However, uh, as is very typical with rate cases in the U.S., uh, we intend to work uh, collaboratively with our customers, our regulators, and other stakeholders to, to settle this case in a mutually satisfactory manner. And in that regard, we'll likely will kick off settlement discussions uh, sometime in the fourth quarter of this year. And they would most likely continue into uh, maybe first quarter, second quarter into
7: 2021. And that's helpful, Stan. If, um, just to kind of follow up, that $3 billion over 7 years, that's new and incremental to the modernization capital that you're already showing in your tables? Is that correct?
8: That's, yeah, that's correct. That would be new incremental capital. And again, that's what we're proposing. So we're going to have to go through the, the process. Um, that could change over time, but that's the proposal as it fits with our filing.
7: And what proportion of Columbia right now is on recourse rates versus contracted rates? Uh,
8: good question. If memory is correct, it's probably somewhere around uh, 50% or so, but I should, uh, I should follow up with Dave and get you an exact number.
7: Fair enough. If um, I can just finish with uh, a quick funding question, Just uh, you mentioned that you're going to be filing the ATM this quarter, um, and that had been previously specifically earmarked for KXL. Is that completely still the case, or do you have any anticipation to need it for um, non-KXL purposes?
3: Yeah. Hi, Robert. It's uh, it's Don here. Um, we uh, we announced along with KXL. I, um, we don't have any intention to use it. It's not part of our base funding plan for Keystone XL. Um, it's really an acknowledgment of, of the volatile times we're in right now and the size of the capital program. It gives, give, gives us some financial flexibility as we embark on KXL uh, as another lever, but the, the base funding plan... Um, um, Uh, it none there's no issuance under the ATM factored into that so um, I would treat it more as belts and suspenders uh, given the current environment and the magnitude of the capital program that we have in front of us
1: thank you very much thanks Robert
0: our next question comes from Robert Cotillier of CIBC capital markets please go ahead
9: hi good morning Uh, can you just elaborate on how you plan to achieve the higher capacity on keystone um allowed in that uh presidential permit is this a uh dra only solution or will it be pump stations and looping so really i'm trying to get a sense of what other work you might have to do on the permitting and if you could also address uh cost and uh timing
5: Uh, thanks robert it's bevan Um, the incremental 50,000 barrels a day that we contracted through the open season mid last year is available to the system um, based on using increased uh, uh, DRA as as you suggest. No further pump stations or other capital is required to accommodate that increase.
9: Okay, and just uh, just the the bigger picture here as you're you're looking um, to the five uh, to seven percent long term uh, growth uh, growth rate, um, how much of that is contemplated from um, you know just the existing footprint, or stated another way, how important is it to develop another uh, platform such as uh, the green energy that was discussed earlier? or other um, parts of the value chain or other jurisdictions that are less complicated in permitting compared to uh, North American pipelines
3: yeah it's uh, it's done here um, beyond KXL and and coastal gas link um, it, it doesn't factor in any what we would consider mega projects and um, even even with those projects we um, we look at our 100,000 kilometer of pipe right away right now um, uh, with the opportunities that just organically come off of that. You've seen some today with Elwood. You've uh, uh, heard from Stan on potentially a Modernization 3 program. These are just examples of that. Um, singles and doubles uh, with lower execution risk that can come off of that. I'd also point to additional five units at Bruce. Uh, that need refurbishment going forward so where we land in that five to seven percent range will depend on on the mix of projects that that comes out of um, you know comes out of our organic programs here how we execute on them and the cadence of those Uh, i think we indicated that at investor day uh, so it, it's not necessarily predicated on large-scale new platforms coming coming into service here and building off of those. So we get about three years visibility on projects. Uh, that's what it takes for um, for landing from the the commercial landing of these to um, getting through the regulatory permitting process and getting shovels in the ground. So we're you know we're we're starting to look at stuff um, mid-decade now. Uh, we might get greater visibility on things like that. Um, you know Francois alluded to the pump storage project that we're looking at in Ontario. These are the kind of uh, longer tail opportunities that 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 may be not in that you know that KXL or CGL kind of footprint range, but you know could could meaningfully contribute to that growth going forward. Or maybe I
2: just you know add to to Don's comments. Um, yeah, I think what we've always said is is it, if we can reinvest our free cash flow. Um, you know the 60% that uh, um, you know that, that, that's generated on on an annual basis um, into uh, into our core businesses, it, you know, and get a return in that sort of you know 7 to 8% kind of range. We can generate you know that kind of 5 to 7% growth rate. You know, pick a number. That number happens to be about five billion dollars on an annual basis that we're looking for right now. And as we look at the portfolio, as Don said. Um, it's not a big stretch for us to say that we can find four to far, four to five billion dollars of, of in corridor expansion I mean, we'll always look for other platforms for growth but as we think about our, our platform you just think about you know this this quarter um where we brought on the elwood project for example you know 500 million dollars canadian uh, in, in in a sense in is and we've, we've done that sort of you know quarter on quarter here over the last while so getting to the five billion dollars of, of uh of capital investment in our corridors doesn't seem to be a stretch, as Don said. You know, our maintenance capital, which is you know, for the most part rate regulated, um, is, uh, is a couple billion dollars a year that we get return of and on capital on, um, you know, as, as uh, uh, Stan pointed out, as you know, modernization programs going forward will, will be over over and above that. Um, you add to that, you know, these in-corridor expansions that we're talking about, you know, Bruce Power on an annual basis, if we do complete the, uh, you know, the balance of the five more uh, unit replacements, you know, on average, that's a billion dollars a year over the next uh, next decade or so. Um, you think about, you know, the, the expansions that we, we've we talked about across the system, you know, into, into Mexico and other places, uh, you, you quickly add up to numbers that, you know, can exceed, you know, 4 to $5 billion a year. So, you know, we'll we'll be... I think continuing to be in capital, you know, rationing mode and, and making sure that we allocate capital to the very best projects. And what we found is the very best projects are the smaller ones, you know, five hundred million to a billion dollars. They, they generally give us higher returns, and we don't have the same resistance as uh, as we do to to, to large, uh, large scale, multi-jurisdictional uh, projects uh, that that are greenfield. So. Uh, we're you know i guess from from my perspective over you know the last 20 years or so you can see that we've reinvested you know 100 billion dollars into our core businesses um, and generated that sort of you know 7% growth rate in earnings and cash flow per share uh, i'd expect that to continue looking forward i would say our visibility of opportunities to reinvest our free cash flow are probably greater now than at any time in in our history and and it's primarily related to you know, continued increase in demand for energy, um, at the same time a difficult um, environment to, to build new greenfield things in, which has pointed us back to, you know, these in-corridor expansions. And I mean, I can go through numerous ones, the GTN expansion, our Iroquois expansion, um, you know, the uh, uh, our BXP expansion in the U.S., um, you know, attaching to LNG facilities, is, is that the in-corridor expansions are, are are things that can get done and, and our customers know
9: that and, and they're looking at us for, uh, for solutions to continue to, uh, to meet their growing, growing energy demands. Okay. Thank you for those comments. Thanks, Rob.
0: Our next question comes from Linda Erzgalis of TD Security. Please go ahead.
10: Thank you. I have a question for Devin as a follow-up to uh, Robert Catelier's question on your Keystone de-bottlenecking. I'm just wondering, beyond the initial 50,000 barrels per day that you've already commercially underpinned, how might we think of the uh, timing and the ramp uh, and the um, um, commercial attributes of uh, the remaining 120,000 barrels per day that was, uh, I believe, also on uh, the amended uh, presidential permit.
5: Yes, thanks Linda. So we've been making excellent progress as you're aware. Last year we had an incident at Edinburgh and we've been working on our pipeline integrity projects to reestablish and and expand the capacity on our base system. The new uh, amended permit allows us to bring on and ramp up that growth of 50,000 barrels a day. In the 2021 timeframe once we've established that we can safely uh, deliver deliver our product. Um, So the balance, we still remain 35,000 barrels a day of spot on the system and any incremental increase thereafter will determine whether or not uh, there's market demand and capability to use that incremental capacity.
10: And that would require some sort of additional pumping and looping, or, or what would be the scope and scale of any sort of investments required to add beyond that?
5: No, again, that would uh, the initial, as I mentioned, on the fifty thousand, that is purely through DRA. Any other incremental, we'll just look at optimizing the base system. It may have some modest capital requirements, but we'll we'll look at those in the future.
10: Uh, that's helpful. Thank you. Um, and a follow-up question with respect to uh, the gas uh, rate filing um, I guess we'll we'll see it filed tomorrow But how can we think of uh, if you were to get everything that was applied for? Uh, what would um, the lift be in EBITDA for the company? potentially
8: Yeah, Linda this is Stan up uh, fair question, but uh With all due respect, uh, having not yet filed the case, I don't want to front run the process. There's still lots of discussions that we have to have with our customers, regulators, and stakeholders. And until we do, um, we're really just not in a position to provide guidance on any ultimate outcome. So what I would suggest is that David and his IR team are uh, are in the loop, and I'm sure that they'll follow up with you uh, as appropriate.
10: Thank you, I appreciate that. Um, are you able to share any attributes beyond uh, the scale of the modernization uh, that would be uh, new and, and significant, step changes in, in kind of the current uh, run rate of, of how you're running ANR Columbia Gas?
8: Yes, uh, again, just out of respect for the process, I'd rather not go into any details because we have not yet shared all this with our customers. So if I could just ask you to maybe hold that question and we could follow up with you uh, in the not too distant future
0: will do thanks so much Dan.
1: okay thanks linda
0: our next question comes from asit sen of bank of america please go ahead
9: thanks good morning Uh, just coming back to the esg energy transition topic um, as you look into the future scenarios just wondering how you're thinking about you know the financial framework uh, discount rate terminal value uh, for these green uh, projects to attract capital, just broadly, how are you
3: thinking about it? Yeah, I'll start out. It's Dawn here. Um, we would look at them similar to our existing uh, our existing investments. Um, you know, we're. We're not uh, not looking to deploy capital uh, you know, below our cost of capital. We're looking for a decent return on it, and factored into that is exactly what you've outlined, what's your cash flows during the project, during the contract length, or uh, uh, within rate base. And uh, it depends on the technology and the contractual structure and the regulatory structure that, that is behind these things, how much residual risk or how much residual value is associated with the post-contract period. I
2: think, you know, generally speaking, I would say that we'll, we'll continue to look at fundamentals, um, you know, from a fundamental perspective. Is, is there demand for, for, for that project? And, and, you know, evidence of that usually is in somebody willing to, to pay for that um, under, under some sort of contractual or rate regulated structure. So I would say that, you know, what we'd be seeking is, is projects that are, you know, within kind of what we've had as, as historical risk preferences. And I would expect that our discount rates will be therefore similar to uh, you know, our discount rates that we would apply to, to existing projects. Um, you know, one of the cornerstones of, of sustainability is obviously financial sustainability and, and attraction of capital and that you need to have you know, the stability of uh, revenue to attract capital um, in, in the manner that we've attracted capital on a historic basis. So I think what you can expect from us is the same discipline and, and rigor. And uh, what we know is that you know, based on, on growth in, in demand uh, for these projects, you know, those kinds of, of situations will exist. You've seen us invest in, in, in renewables in the past. We've been in, in, in hydro, we've been in uh, wind, we've been in, uh, in, in solar. And in, in all those situations, uh, you know, we, we came to it with the same sort of investment criteria that we have uh, uh, for, for all of our other assets. So uh, that's what you can expect from us going forward. And, you know, I guess the bottom line is we do see, you know, substantial opportunity out there that's emerging uh, in, in this transition. And, and one of the biggest ones that we, we see right now is, is, the, is the intermittency issue with respect to uh, renewable energy, um, either through batteries or pump storage or some way we're going to have to sort of fill that intermittency. Um, and then, you know, through things like our investment in Bruce Power, um, you'll bring on base load power to augment um, the, the renewable energy in Ontario has been a, been a great mix, and we figured out a way to operate uh, in, in Ontario um, that, that balances uh, the system on, on a daily basis, and that appears to be valuable to uh, uh, the Ontario system operator um, and, and to Ontario residents. So. Uh, the returns that we're getting there are, are, are consistent with the returns that we would achieve in, in, in other parts of our business. So we see lots of promise on, on the horizon, and we'll just continue to be careful and disciplined as, as we allocate capital that direction.
3: Yeah, physically the assets may look different, but financially they sh- the, the, the stream should look very familiar to our investors.
9: Very help- helpful. Appreciate the caller. Um, if I could shift to Mexico, in a post-COVID world, uh, uh, could you update us on your views on Mexico? Um, you know, obviously the volumetrics look pretty good at 1.6 billion, and ebitda does look good. But um, uh, just opportunities and risk in that market, please.
6: Sure, it's Francois. Uh, so uh, I, I think you know we take a long-term uh, perspective on Mexico. We think that uh, the uh, growth and introduction of low-cost natural gas from uh, the U.S. Gulf Coast into the Mexican economy is uh, a, a strong strategic imperative for the country. It'll be a strong driver of macroeconomic growth going forward, uh, and it's consistent with uh, the uh, Mexican government and the CFE's ambitions with respect to uh, power generation and its own uh, market share ambitions. Uh, The way they're going to achieve uh, uh, those uh, targets is through uh, increased supply of natural gas into into the country. So uh, our uh, asset position there uh, again. Once again, you know, long-term contracts, 20 years or longer, U.S. dollar denominated, um, with a creditworthy counterparty, um, uh, are consistent with uh, uh, with our risk preferences. We're comfortable with our investments in the country, and uh, to the extent uh, there's opportunity, and we do see some opportunity for us to increase connectivity, uh, we've built the backbone now, and we're completing uh, work on the backbone of the infrastructure in Mexico. Uh, there'll be an opportunity for us to increase uh, asset utilization through connecting with uh, additional power plants, with additional uh, industrial load, be it petrochemical or otherwise. And so in the medium term, that's what I think you'll see from us in terms of uh, incremental capital investment. Uh, those tend to be uh, along the corridor, uh, lower risk uh, and, uh, and reasonable returns. And uh, to the extent there are opportunities to expand or extend that backbone into other markets as the economy grows, um, we'll be ready to do so.
1: Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Seth.
0: Our next question comes from Rob Hope of Scotiabank. Please go ahead.
8: Morning, everyone. Uh, just one from me. Um, good to see the $400 uh, million U.S. expansion on A&R. Just want to get a sense of how discussions are going for you know, similar and further kind of singles and doubles of your uh, pipeline expansion project. Have we seen a shift away from, we'll call it, supply push projects? And is the focus now more on the demand pull ones? Yeah. Hey, Rob, this is Stan. I could answer that. Um, you know, as I noted on some of our prior calls, just given the size and extent of our footprint, you know, I expect us to originate anywhere between a half a billion to a billion dollars of new growth projects each year. Uh, with the announcement of the Elwood project today, we're not only on track to meet that in 2020, but we're we're clearly trending towards the high side. So, you know, going forward, I, I do see a little bit of a shift uh, from the supply push to demand pull. Uh, for example, from a macro perspective, uh, gas-fired power gen is expected to grow by 3 BCF a day, between now and 2023, and about 7 BCF a day between now and 2030, and I have every expectation that we'll compete for and win our fair share of that. Uh, As a matter of fact, we're currently pursuing um, a couple of other gas-fired power gen projects right now on the A&R and Columbia system, uh, one of which is, is very similar to the Elwood project, and I think we'll have at least one of them closed out by year end. Uh, we still remain well-positioned to capture growth in the LNG export market uh, as we await the, uh, the opening of economies due to the pandemic. And then the lastly, I would just point out that uh, while it's unfortunate that the Dominion uh, is no longer pursuing its ACP project, I should note that there's still, a, there's still a need to get incremental gas supply down to those markets in the Southeast. Uh, we have a, a little bit more homework yet to do, but uh, very well may be in a position to serve at least a portion of that load through upgrades and modifications to our existing infrastructure and to do so uh, perhaps without any builds through the appalachian trail or the (laughs) national parks or forests so a little bit more work to do there uh, so stay tuned Um, maybe the one thing that's left on the supply side at least in the short term is the uh, the bakken express project uh, the, the impact of covid 19 uh, on oil prices, uh, definitely had us hit the pause button on that, uh, but I do remain optimistic that we're ultimately going to get that project done too, although our origination timeline for doing such and, and in-service states are likely going to be pushed back a bit. So, uh, again, as you can see, there's, there's still uh, many, many growth opportunities left that we're pursuing, and uh, we're going to continue to focus on constructible, permittable, in quarter expansions that are primarily compression-related. Rob, let me
11: add a little bit to that. This is Tracy. I'll add some on the uh, Canadian uh, gas pipe system. As you know, we're in the middle of a, a, quite a large program right now, and that program is both supply and demand-driven. Uh, you know, But I think as we see forward and come through that, you know, the, the uh, WCSB is a depletion rate on our system of about 2 BCF uh, a day per year, so we will look to reconnect that amount of gas each year to just keep our supply going. And, of course, we're connecting that in the... Montney region uh, on an increasing basis. 80% of our supply now comes from that area. But we also see opportunities for rifle shot uh, connections uh, within the Alberta system from an industrial perspective. And we look to use kind of that uh, remaining kind of capacity on the main line uh, strategically to make sure that the WCSB volumes are getting into the continental, the North American markets kind of effectively and competitively. We will always look. We think the WCSB gas is very economic and competitive, and we think it should, when the LNG markets right themselves, it should um, take a place uh, in those markets as well. That's a that's a longer term basis, but uh, we're looking for all of that. So we have we see past the current program that we have in place right now, which goes to. 2023 2024 we do see uh, you know uh, continued expansion organically of our of our existing right away
1: i appreciate all the colors thank you okay thanks rob
0: once again if you have a question please press star then one our next question comes from Pranit setish of wells fargo please go ahead Thanks.
5: Uh, good morning. Just just one question for me. Um, can you maybe provide any more details on the capacity optimization open season on NGTL? And, and I guess specifically how your customers are uh, thinking about growth in the current environment. Um, and then maybe in the context of that, how much capacity in total was uh, deferred relative to your pre- prior outlook?
11: I'd be happy to do that. Is is you are aware, we've got a very large, nine, you know, nine almost $10 billion expansion program underway on NGTL. And we believe all that, con- all that, of course, is based on contracted demand. And we believe strongly in the fundamentals, the WCSB. You know, prices uh, have been stable this summer. They're strong if you look out the curve. Uh, you know, it's a very competitive basin. Uh, but we did want, given all of the announcements early in the year around, you know, changes to cap investments on the producer side, we wanted just to check in and see how much that capacity uh, was needed. So the open season gave an opportunity... Uh, for those who had contracted on the expansion to advance contracts, to defer contracts or to turn back contracts and under certain circumstances. And so is that all netted out, uh, what we learned through that is that all of that capacity is still required. Some of it uh, is required in different time frames. So we did see, we will see some um, uh, bits advancing. Uh, some contracts will advance. We're seeing some capacity, uh, be deferred by a season or up to a year and we're just putting together the new capital program that will reflect that but the good news in this and the strong you know we expected it was that the you know our customers want this capacity and they see the same fundamentals in this basin that we do
1: great thank you thanks Pranee.
0: ladies and gentlemen this concludes the question and answer session if there are any further questions, please contact TC Energy Investor Relations. I will now turn the call over to Mr. Monetta. Please go ahead, Mr. Monetta.
1: Great. Thanks very much, and uh, thanks very much to all of you for participating this morning. Um, we recognize it's a busy time, uh, so we appreciate your interest in TC Energy, and we very much look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, and have a great day.
0: This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day.